When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know if you, you know, if anybody's ever experienced that when you go through bankruptcy, basically you hand someone your finances, you hand them your checkbook and they pretty much control your checkbook. Uh, you're not allowed to borrow any money. You're not allowed to get a car loan. You're not allowed to get a personal loan. You're not allowed to get a credit card. And so your life becomes a life of being on, on a cash basis to do anything. You want to go on a trip, you got to add money for it. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And look, man, y'all better get the notepad out because we've got a heavyweight in the game in the building with me today i guess we're not in the building we on zoom today but we'll, we'll get it together eventually i've got rod brown i didn't have to go far to find rod in fact i saw him this morning in the gym and so we're both in greensboro and i'm so excited to bring this story to you guys because this guy's been laying low and uh i think it's going to be tremendously inspirational for you so with that said, Rod, welcome in, man. Thanks for coming on to the show. Man, hey, thank you, bro. You don't have to thank me. I'm excited about being here and doing what we can to uh, to help you guys out and make you grow and go, period. Grow and go. I, yeah, what I've learned about Rod is he he's quiet, right? <laughs> he, he sits in the corner and I think he observes everything. I don't think he misses anything. And then when he actually speaks, there's always... It's always pointed. There's not a bunch of extra words. There's not a whole lot of emotion. And so I want you guys to really lock in and pick up the jewels that's about to get dropped. And so earlier this week in the gym, there was an argument that ensued. You were on the bike. There was a gentleman who approached you and he said, people can multitask. They can do a bunch of different things. I can walk into gum. I can do this. I can do that. And you said, people don't multitask. So I want to go right there, right? Let's talk about right. multitasking. Right. Is that the thing or no? Uh, nah, it's not really a thing, man. We switch tasks. So it, it it's a thing if you limit the definition of multitasking to literally doing physically two things at one time, right? But people, when they talk about multitasking, they talk about it in the context of, you know, work or business, or even, you know, even home, their home life, how they can do multiple things at one time. And the reality is you cannot do multiple things consciously, right? Because your brain can only think about one thing at a time. Now the brain is powerful, so it can think about things, you know, rapidly, multiple things rapidly. But if you had to if I told you to write the alphabet from A to Z and carry, you know, carry on a conversation with someone, you could do it, but you're going to stop writing, have the conversation or talk, or you're going to stop talking and write, but you're not going to be able to consciously write and talk at the same time. So the argument was, dude, you're sitting on a bike, you're, you're riding, you're pedaling, Right. And you're talking to me. Oh, and by the way, you're drinking a drink. So I don't have to think about pedaling a bike because I've done it a gazillion times. Now, I bet you if it was the first time I rode the bike, I would have to think about pedaling and think about being comfortable on that bike. 
I couldn't have had the conversation. I couldn't have drank the drink. Right. So that's my, my, you know, kind of my definition and my, my position on multitasking. Yeah. And the reason why I brought that up is because I think a lot of people who listen to this, they're trying to create streams of income. Yeah. They're, they're trying to build multiple businesses at the same time. Yeah. I think that's a failing pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a, it's, so when you look at like really on any level, right? Like if you look at any, show me any successful person, right? And that success is legitimate and it's longstanding. And I'll show you a person that's done one thing really, really well. And the world needed that one thing. They were operating in their gift. They could charge people for it, right? But then at some point, because that one thing became the thing like me pedaling the bike, then they could branch off and do other things. I think the, the, the problem with people trying to obtain multiple streams of income, which is definitely something that's doable, is they try to obtain five streams of income at the same time. And that's where, you know, there you, you, you will probably fall short. Why are so many people in hustle culture? trying to do so many different things at the same time because I, I i know you consult with like mental health agencies and some other stuff in the background yeah. right so right like why why are they doing that i believe that people you know me and my um, guy lynch we we talk about keeping the main thing the main thing a lot of times people don't have a main thing or they don't like their main thing and so they want to go do something different but they've done the main thing. So they want to hold on to that bag too. Right. So I think it's a bunch of different things going on, but if you identify that main thing and keep the main thing, the main thing, you can branch off and do other things. The whole hustle mentality is about what we hear about what we read about what social media tells you that you need to do versus the reality of finding that thing that the world needs that you're solving a problem that you're really, really good at, that you don't, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the best at it, but you don't exude a lot of effort that you can, you know, get paid doing it. And that, you know, you, you're excellent at it. You're superb at it. And let that be the main thing. And then, you know, again, branch off and do some other things. So there's a whole bunch of factors why, you know, that hustle mentality exists. I mean, think about any mentality, right? It started, it was born somewhere. And then people just added fuel to that fire. So um, that hustle, whole hustle gang, hustle mentality is the same thing. All right. So you were in wealth management. A lot of the people mm-hmm. I work with were like our financial advisors or mm-hmm. they, they place capital and in alternative investments or something of that sort. And you left that behind. Yeah. Can, can you break can you break that down for us and tell yeah. us how you got to the place where you, you exited a business a couple of times? Yeah. So when it came to uh, wealth management, it was I got into wealth management because I was bored with what I was doing. I was I was working for a bank and I was in banking operations and I did really well, but it was it was, it was boring, quite frankly. And so I needed to find that the thing to go do that I wasn't bored at doing. At least that's what I thought at the time. Right. Because it was all about, you know, being excited and. And, and not being bored at what I was doing, which um, I think is a um, not a mistake, but it, it is like people have to. I think there, there are three landing spots, right? You have you have happy, you have not so happy, and then you have content, right? So you have boring, you have exciting, and you have content. And so a lot of times people chase exciting. And so when they're not excited anymore about whatever it is, regardless of how well it's working, then they go chase excitement again. Right. Or happy. And really, they're they're chasing that, you know, they're chasing dopamine. They're chasing that that stuff that your body produces that makes you feel makes you feel happy. Right. And so for me, at a certain point in time, that's what was going on. So I was like, man, I got to I got to I got to find happier. I got to find exciting because I'm bored doing this. And so, although I did it really, really well, I was being promoted the whole nine yards. And so I made a list, I made a list of like, if I had the perfect job, what would the perfect job be? I made a list of everything that would be in that perfect job. Right. And so, um, and then I 
tried to find vocations that fit my list, you know, without, you know, sacrificing much of the list. And so financial advisor, wealth manager, that hit the list. Then I had to go figure out how to become that. And I kind of navigated my way through the organization that I was in and became that. And then I did really well in doing that as well, because, you know, success leaves clues. And I just, I just thrived in that business. But then a couple of things happened. One was one day I realized th- there are certain vocations that have instant, cred- instant credibility, right? A-, a lawyer, instant credibility. If you're a lawyer, then, oh man, you're smart. You know, you went to law school, you know, the law, instant credibility. A doctor was another one, instant credibility. If you're a doctor, then, you know, you're, you're smart. Uh, you're smarter than most people. When you understand how the body works. You know, you just, you just have an, an, a, an elite level of knowledge and information and, and capabilities, right? And so financial advisor or wealth manager kind of fit in that area. And, but, but how many people know that there, there are bad doctors, terrible doctors, that they're terrible lawyers, right? And so I was having, and so you kind of get this, this complex, like, man, I, I know I can tell you what to do with your money. I can tell you, you know, how to grow your money, how to sustain your money, et cetera. And so uh, me and my, uh, my, my business partner at the time, because he and I, we had a, we had a, uh, we were on a team together and we, he and I had a conversation one day and I realized I'm like, wait, what, what did you do before you became a financial advisor? And he was like, I was uh, a truck driver. No, I, I unloaded trucks. And I was like, yeah, I worked in banking operations. So what's the difference between us and our clients? And he wanted to stay up on the high horse of, you know, Hey, they need us. They got to have us. And so, my whole point of bringing that up was, man, we need to figure out ways to add more value to our clients because at any given time, they can do what we did and that's go get information, go get knowledge. And so that happened. And, but, but he was just like, he was hell bent on, nah, we, you know, we, we're the financial advisors. We're the one with the knowledge. I'm like, but all we did was we, you, you loaded trucks and now you're a financial advisor. You just went and got the information, right? You went and studied to become a financial advisor. Our clients can go do the same thing. So we need to add more value. So that that was one thing. The other thing was the people that I work with, my clients, they were business owners. A lot of them were business owners. And I'll never forget, I had this one guy, I inherited an account. It was like $60,000. And um, because a, pre, a, a, a financial advisor left. So when you leave, they give you, they just spread your account, spread that person's accounts out. So I, I inherited an account, 60 grand. So uh, notice went out to the guy that, hey, your account was assigned to Rod Brown. So guy calls me and said, hey, man, I want to close that account. I'm like, close it? Wow. Why do you want to close the account? He was like, you know, the guy that had the account before you, that was my cousin. I was just helping him out. And I want to go buy me a Corvette with this $60,000. And I'm like, you know, so my job is to retain those assets. My job is to come up with and I was like, listen, do you mind if I come visit? Do you mind if I come see? He's like, no, come on out. So, bro, I drove to Kernersville, North Carolina, right? And I go to this warehouse looking building, probably 900 to 1,000 square feet. His office was probably 300 square feet of, you know, a third of the size of the whole, whole building. And I go in there and I sit down. And so when I walk in there, I'm just kind of looking around and I see cleaning equipment. I see the, you know, those big floor buffers. I see those. I see chemicals. And so, all right. And then we walk back to his office and it's like, oh, you know, this big, gigantic, beautiful office. So I get in there and he says, um, yeah, I'm glad you came out to meet me. What do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I want to talk about, you know, you know, what we can do for you is in terms of managing this $60,000. Right. And he was like, Rob, he said, let me show you around. So he, he showed me around. Then he told me what he did. And what he did was he shined linoleum floors. He buffed floors in convenience stores, grocery stores, things like that, right? And um, he said, you see this equipment right here? He said, that equipment cost me about a million bucks. He said, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably earn me about $3 million over the next two years. Can you do that with my $60,000? And I was like, nah, I'm not even going to try to compete or promise. No, I cannot. Probably not. Right. So he said, okay. And so that was my lesson. One of the first early lessons on just business and entrepreneurship and the mindset of an entrepreneur. 
And so I left there going, wow. And then more and more of that, I started to pay attention now about what my clients did other than just managing their money and start digging into what they did. And then, man, I just had an epiphany. I said, you know what? I got, I got to be that guy on the other end of the phone that I'm chasing. And so that just kind of led me down a path of, you know, attention and intention about becoming, you know, the guy on the other end of the phone. So I think so many people miss this piece of the journey. Like if you think about the cash flow quadrant, Robert mm-hmm. Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or even the yeah. Capsule Quadrant book, whatever you want to go to. And they got employee, self-employed, business owner, and investor. And yeah. so many people are trying to go from being an employee to an investor. And I think they're missing a critical step. And that's going to being a business owner. Yeah. Because you can invest the money from the business back into the business, create this multiple on the equity, and then use that to turn it into cash flow. Yeah. And I, I think so many people miss that because all of the marketing messaging is about putting your money in the stock market or putting it somewhere where a wealth manager can manage it. Right. Do you have an opinion on that after being in wealth management, being a yeah. business owner, having yeah. an exit? Like, talk to me, man. So when it comes to entrepreneurship, right, or owning a business, you know, everyone doesn't own a business and everyone doesn't own a business for a reason. I do believe that ownership, business ownership is, is important to creating wealth. Uh, I believe that I, um, uh, for many years, I've, I've only seen, and, and just from my experience of, of managing money for people, I've only seen maybe two people that were millionaires, right? If that's going to be the benchmark, uh, were millionaires that worked for someone for like 25, 30 years, right? Everyone else, they were entrepreneurs, period. So I truly believe in business ownership. Now, the, the way I feel about the stock market is that's a way that you can actually own a business, right? So the stock market is not, it's not gambling. There is some risk associated with the stock market, just like there's risk associated with becoming an entrepreneur. And basically, that's all an entrepreneur is, is someone who's willing to accept a great deal of risk solving a problem for a whole bunch of people. That's, that's really, I'm, I'm a bold, I boil down what an entrepreneur is, but that's what an entrepreneur is. So if you are risk adverse to the point where, you know, you don't have the skill or you don't have the skill set to go become an entrepreneur, which many people don't, they end up working for entrepreneurs, which is perfectly okay. Then I think there's some value in the stock market where you can own businesses if you buy stock, right? I can own a piece of Nike. I can own a piece of Tesla, right? Which is the, someone else decided to take on the massive risk and you're just kind of riding the coattail of the person taking on the massive risk. I think the challenge comes in when people start investing in all these other products that dovetail off of three main investments, that's stocks, bonds, and cash. And so there are a whole bunch of other products that were created to charge fees uh, to make money for the creators that's not stocks, bonds, or cash. So when I buy a stock, I do what? I, I invest in the company. I become a part owner. I can go sit down at the, the meeting, annual, the shareholders meetings. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I can go sit down at those meetings. I can vote right on different things in that company. If I buy a bond, I basically lent my money to the government or to a corporation or to a city, right? Uh, or a municipality that is. So I lent my money to them. So those are direct relationships with someone borrowing my money or me investing in that company. Now, when I buy a mutual fund, that's a whole different animal. Um, like when you buy a mutual fund, you don't own the actual stock that's in the fund. You owned shares of the fund, right? So now there's a there there's a wall that has been created in, in that process. So I do believe, I don't know if you wanted all of this for you to answer the question. I do believe that entrepreneurship or business is the way to, to gain wealth. And so for those who don't want to or can't, or for whatever reason, don't become a business owner or entrepreneur, then, hey, here's another way you can do it. Just be careful not to, you know, get, get caught up into those shiny things that dovetail off of the three main and main investments and that's stocks, bonds and cash. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I think so many people have boiled down entrepreneurship to me just going out here and doing like this thing by myself. And you can go into somebody, a business that somebody else has started and they need to grow it. And you can 
earn equity. You can become a partner in that business. Like there's so many different avenues to get into ownership. But yeah. the thing that I, you said that I thought was key is that I was a wealth manager and of all the people that I sat down with, maybe one or two of them were employees that right. achieved millionaire status, right. which, you know, made me something different today than it did 10 years ago. But yeah. seven figures is still seven figures, man. Seven figures, so, seven. Absolutely. <laughs> you said I need to be the guy on the other end of the phone. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, I need to be that guy. I need to be the guy on the other end of the phone. And Do I you become crazy. the guy on the other end of the phone? Yeah, I become a version of that guy. I'm not. I'm not where I want to be, but I, I'm a version of that person. I have people calling me now. Yeah. <laughs> he he get he get a prospecting call. Can, yeah. can I take you out to lunch? <laughs> right, right, right. Let me tell you about this investment. Let me tell you about the turbulent times. Let me tell you about yada yada yada. Uh, but I did have a, have a, had a, um, a, a interesting experience recently with the bank that because you know I've, I've avoided I've avoided debt for a long time um, and I've used my money for them you know most mostly doing despite anything that I've done after you know leaving or after selling our company but I had an interesting experience with the bank and, and which was actually kind of eye opening and I talk about it on our podcast the Endgame podcast. And actually, they we took a snippet out. So if you got on YouTube, you can go check that out about what I say about banks and you know the conversation that me and my guys have about banks. Yeah, I, we'll figure out how to get it dropped in yeah, because yeah. I thought it was phenomenal when I heard it, and it's so real because let's go back to the conversation about entrepreneurship. So part of the reason why you're able to accumulate wealth, amass wealth, is because of the favorable tax treatment of being a business owner versus having all the money from a tax perspective taken out of your paycheck. And yeah. so when you optimize for taxes, you're not optimizing for bankability, right? Because you're, you're showing less income, you're showing less free cash flow than what you're actually handling. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're creating losses, you're creating losses and you're creating, you know, typically, you know, you don't want to, you know, talk to the you know, the person that's that's not an entrepreneur, that's not a business and they don't want to create any losses for themselves. They, you know, they hate seeing losses. But when you, you know, when you have a potential, it's not really a tax problem and it's a you know first world issue. But when you're looking at a, a sizable tax bill, you're trying to figure out ways legally to minimize that tax bill. And so when you can find ways legally to minimize the tax bill, then that that picture doesn't fit into an underwriter's, you know, round circle, you know, your, 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 your situation is square and then fit in the underwriters round circle. So then that, that just makes you go, makes you go look at other, other sources. So, so that's an interesting approach. Why self fund? Is it just because of the, it's just, it's just power and flexibility, right? I believe, you know, cash is king. And so like, if I, if I, you know, like I'm in the trucking business, right? Or logistics companies. I was corrected on, on the podcast with Max. Being in the logistics business, there are sometimes there are opportunities I need to act on like right now, right? So, you know, there's a process in dealing with a, a funder unless you have some type of line of credit, right? Which is something that we're working on for our, our trucking company. And so you just have more flexibility and you can take advantage of opportunities. And so, you know, I tell people all the time, try to try to maintain a, you know, a substantial uh, cash position because cash is king and you can't take advantage of of opportunities if you don't have, you know, readily available cash. Liquidity matters. And Liquidity matters. You know, I, 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 I believe in in debt as well. Right. So I don't want to I don't want to paint the picture that, you know, cash is everything. I definitely believe in using other people's money. I believe in, you know. Leverage. So when you think about it, leverage is really leverage is really wealth because if I can go borrow a hundred thousand and I can go turn that into three hundred thousand and you know give them back their hundred thousand and I have two hundred thousand. Really simple example, but I think you know the folks will get the picture. Then that's 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 really wealth, you know, versus me using my hundred thousand and doing the. I mean, I can do the same thing, but. Just imagine, you know, you, you have an open line of credit where every time you use 100, you can make 300. 
then you can pretty much print money using somebody else's money. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. And it, it just, it changes the, when you get to the percentages, the return on investment, it, it just Absolutely. changes them Absolutely. so dramatically. Absolutely. Uh, and the other place I'll go, and I don't know that everybody gets this, is just the ability to buy a bigger asset, right? So if, if you have 100000 and you want to buy it in cash, well, you can buy a $100,000 asset in simple terms. Yeah. But if you want to go bigger, because usually there's a larger piece of cash flow tied to a larger valued asset, then you can take that 100 turn it into four and go out. I don't know what lending today. I see a lot of people getting 50% leverage. So maybe I shouldn't speak so freely on multiplying it by four, but I don't want to get bogged down in the math. But the point is leverage can help you get into places that you couldn't get to if you just did it all cash. So let's go back to becoming a guy on the other end of the phone. So you leave wealth management and you do what? So um, me and um, me and a couple of friends bump our heads and go start a software company based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, when no one has a, um, you know, software development degree. My business partner who took computer science, failed computer science, I had a business information systems degree, but, you know, we, we saw an opportunity. And so we said, wow, let's, uh, let's make a run at it. And um, yeah, we formed a software company dedicated to helping small to medium size mental health and behavioral health care organizations. And that that system pretty much ran their practices. And so we, again, we didn't know anything about the industry, literally just tripped into that business. And um, yeah, man, we 15 year run with it. Wait, <laughs> I mean, like the people out there gotta be asked, like who this guy think he is, Yeah, right? Because yeah. I, I go from banking operations, wealth management. I, I could kind of see, because you're still at the bank. I could kind of yeah. see that transition, right? Right. But you, you're just going to jump out the window and build a software company? But you Did yeah. you write any code? Nah, nah. I, in 15 years, I didn't write a lot of code. Yeah, nah. So, and you know, that's the power of partnership, right? Um, so my my business partner uh, and my brother and my you know, friend, we're, yeah, we're, we're we're connected for life. Trinity Manning, he he was he could develop websites. He could create websites, right? And so um, he was creating a website for a lady who owned a, a group home. And um, they would meet from time to time just to review the progress on the website. And so um, she was always complaining about paperwork and all the other stuff she had to deal with. So he was like, tell me about that, right? And so long story short, he created an access database for her. And so uh, and did it overnight for the most part that that helped her with documentation and a couple other features and functions. And so she liked it. And then she said, man, I wish I could do this. And she said, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And then so he added those those features to it. And then it was mind if I show it to some of my friends in the same business. And so that happened. And then it was, um, man, they, they said, wow, I wish, I really wish you could do this. I really wish you could. So literally just, it just kind of expanded, right. Just from the access database that he created overnight to a, a system that wasn't all the way there, but you know, it had a whole lot of potential. And so someone else saw that it had potential and offered him uh, money to buy it at that state. Right. And, and where he had it. And so, you know, he's, 21 maybe and he had no idea should i take this money or or not and so um he asked his he asked his dad what should he do his dad was like i don't know and so that's i i know somebody that that does know so his dad and we 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 all went to the same church so his dad asked 
his pastor to give him advice. And so our pastor said, I, I don't know, uh, but I have some people that that probably do know what you should do. And so he literally brought about, you know, 10, 10 guys together one Sunday morning and um, before church. And we sat down. And so Trinity told the story and we went around the room and everyone had to say, would you would you sell it or would you you know try to maybe turn it into a business? And so they got to me and I think I was the last person and he had a couple paying customers at the time, two or three paying customers. And so I found out how much they were paying them. And then I was like, well, so if you go get about 50 of those customers, you know, 50 more paying customers, then you'll get that amount of money forever. Right. And he was like, well, yeah. I said, so yeah, I wouldn't sell it. You know, and the word, I, the phrase I used was I swing for the fences. I swing for the fence. And so we left that meeting, you know, that, that day. And so a bunch of people promised, you know, different things they were going to do. And again, I'm in wealth management. So I have relationships with attorneys and CPAs. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to get you in front of a, uh, a business attorney. And so I set that meeting up and we, me and, and Trinity, and we went and sat down with the guy. And so we finished with that meeting and Trinity said, you know, he called me, I drove to Greensboro. He called me, he was like, bro, I didn't understand anything that dude said. He was like, um, what do you think about, you know, making a go at it? And so I'm, I'll never forget, I'm, I'm on my deck, Diet Coke or something, I'm on my deck. And so I was like, let me think about it. And I don't know, 20, 30 seconds later, I'm like, I'm in. And so I'm like, but we're gonna need help, you know, doing, and, and I said, we're gonna need help based on what I thought could happen. And so our other buddy, um, Ty McLaughlin, Ty was a financial advisor as well. It's a different firm. And so um, Ty had an office in the Winston Tower downtown. It might have been, you know, 12 by 12 or uh, 12 by 20. I don't know. It was a, just a, an office for an individual, had a table in there, a small table and a couple of chairs. And so when we hit Ty up, it was like, yo, we need to come talk to you. We got, we got an idea. I'm going to run by you. And so we ran it by him and he was like, took him probably about 30, 40 seconds. He said, I'm in. And that office that he was in became our first office. And man, we just uh, we grinded it out for probably about a year. We we're still working our full-time jobs and um, we grinded it out for about a year. It got to the point where we could start quitting our full-time jobs and kind of plan that out on how we would do that and who would quit and when and based on what revenue we, we got in. And so, um, yeah. And we went from, you know, being in a handful of agencies in North Carolina to being in over 500 and about 19, 20 states in the Virgin Islands. So. Yeah. So. All right. I'm in. Were you married? Did you have kids? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. How did so, that conversation go? <laughs> so it, initially it was like, you know, it was like, let's, yeah, do it. Go for it. That's how oh. I was initially. Yeah, go for it. Go do it. But pressure busts pipes, man. And so, because it wasn't rosy. It wasn't rosy all the time. And so. Wait, you uh, mean you didn't double your income as soon as you went into the new oh, business? No, and all no, that? not double my income. Shoot, the amount of time commitment. Because again, I'm working a full time gig plus, you know, moonlighting over here, using vacation time, sick time weekends, whatever else, evenings, you know, to go try to go try to grow this thing that that we believed in so much, man. It was just it was a lot. It was a lot on everybody. And so you, you had to, you got to sit down. You get you got the I need to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got got to got to sit down. Yeah. I need to talk to you. But then but, you know, I got to got to sit down from from bill collectors got to sit down from you know uh bankruptcy attorney so so peep this so uh i'm not sure how many people i shared this one so back in the day man when i was a financial advisor it was like being almost like a a free agent right because like you had a book of business and firms would recruit you and they were like giving you like these crazy signing bonuses, right? And signing you to like six-year deals, four-year deals. So when I when I was the firm that I was with, man, at the time, 
had like a seven year deal. And I want to say like, I don't remember exactly how much I got, but it was, it was north of $600,000. Right. And so the As idea. a bonus? Yeah. Yeah. A sign of bonus. Yeah. And the, but the notion for them, just like with anything else, it's like, you're going to bring your book of business. And so you're going to, you know, instantly have revenue. But what typically happens is you bring as many clients as you can, but everybody never comes, right? Everybody never comes. And then you just grow that revenue and then you continue to grow that revenue. Because a lot of times with, with if, if you have a, a relationship with a financial advisor, they have built-in growth, right? Because they typically charge some type of fee on how much ever money they're managing for you. So that's one way to get paid. Another way to get paid is commission-based. So I had a mix of business some commission-based and some just fee-based. So as the value of the accounts grew, the revenue from the fees grew, right? And so all that math was built into why they felt like they can give you these these, these big checks. And mine was small. 600 was small. Um, there were some, I know guys that got, you know, seven figures just to transfer, move, leave firms, right? But you had that time period as well. You had that six, seven years. So I left in... I think I left, I moved to the firm in like, oh, oh, one, oh, two. And so we started our business in oh, six. So if you do that math or I actually, I left, no, we started our business in oh, five. I left in oh, six. So if you do that math, that's inside of seven years. Right. So I knew that there was a chance that they were going to come after. Me, right. Cause I, I, you know, it was within that seven years. And so. But I looked around and I'd seen where other people did the same thing and they, they didn't fool with them, right? They didn't, they didn't bother them because it's, it's expensive to go chase, you know, go, go through that process. I'll put it that way. And so, man, but I didn't get that faith. So they came after me, sued me for like quarter million dollars, $270,000. I was like, I ain't got it. I ain't got it. Now what? What are we going to do now? Went to arbitration. I lost an arbitration. So um, one of the things to do was to uh, file bankruptcy. So I filed bankruptcy. So along this journey, I'm, I'm trying to run this business. I'm trying to, you know, keep the lights on at the, at the house. I'm trying to, you know, all this stuff going on. And um, yeah, then bankruptcy happened. And so this, so the sit downs you talk about, I had the sit downs at home, but I also had the sit downs with a bankruptcy attorney, a bankruptcy trustee and, and, you know, other bill collectors. And man, if you, if you think about any financial crisis I've, I've experienced Right. And so, um, so yeah, I had, I had a bunch of sit downs going through that, going through that, going through the early years. So most people don't even understand that there's such a thing as financial trauma. Oh, right. And that's what you just described. Yeah. And so, you know what, to go back to your, your other question about, you know, self-funding and cash. So, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've learned that not always believe this, but I've learned that, you know, Things doesn't, you know, things don't happen to us to happen for us. And so going through bankruptcy, I don't know if you, you know, if anybody's ever experienced that when you go through bankruptcy, basically you hand someone your finances, you hand them your checkbook and they pretty much control your checkbook. Uh, You're not allowed to borrow any money. You're not allowed to get a car loan. You're not allowed to get a personal loan. You're not allowed to get a credit card. And so your life becomes a life of being on on a cash basis to do anything. You want to go on a trip, you got to have the money for it. You can't use a credit card to go on a trip. You can't use, if they don't take a debit card, then you're stuck like Chuck, right? And so I had to do that for five years. So for five years, everything was was cash basis. And so, man, that, that kind of built a callus and where like, I hate debt, despise debt. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want a whole bunch of debt. Right. But there are different types of debt. And I had to learn that and realize that and understand that. But yeah, that was somewhat traumatic. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it'll change the way you approach management of your cash personally and in the business going forward. And where debt could have been a multiplier for you, you, you may take right. a step back because you don't want to put too much at risk. And so, right. but you make it through that. Right. Yep. And you, you sell the company. Is that how that, yeah, that was, that was years later. That was years later. Um, so we had to, we had to create a valuable company first and foremost, right? Years later, we were able to sell the company and actually, okay. that's, well, that's actually, that's not, that's not completely true. 
So one of the, the, the systems, the, the EHR, electronic health record system that we sold, was an asset of the company. So whenever you go through the process of selling, you know, companies or businesses, you can sell the entire company so you can do a stock sale, or there may be certain assets within your company that are valuable and you can sell those assets and do what is called an asset sale. And so we did an asset sale where we sold that that particular software because we have other, we still have our company and we still have other other software solutions. Man, so you just went deep because so few people have actually sold a company. Right. right. So breaking down the different pieces and you could sell this component or you can sell IP. Or you right. Can, you can sell the customer list. Like there's all these different places that you could go yeah. and allow yourself to get multiple chunks of dollars for them to be able to use or acquire the thing that you built. What, what was interesting, though, is you said had to build a valuable company. Yeah. yeah. What, what what makes a company valuable? It's profitable. And yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty much it. So, well, that's not, that's not completely true because it can be profitable today and not profitable tomorrow. Right. So you have to have sustained profitability and show sustained growth where year over year over year, you're, you're, you, you see a steady growth rate and the problem that you're solving doesn't seem to go away. There's a problem that's going to be there for, you know, extended amount of time. I'm talking about years, right? So uh, one of the things that I'm I'm really proud of that that we accomplished in our business is we made um, a list. It's called the Inc. 5000 list. And it's the 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies in the U.S. And we made that list five years in a row. And the bare minimum was a 20% growth rate, right? And so we were we, we made that list five years in a row until we sold the company and we didn't care if we made it again <laughs> because we sold the company. But yeah, we I think it was 2016 was the first year through 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Yeah. So it's so a lot of that because of the, the sustained growth. growth that we had year over year. So what was driving the growth? Because, I mean... Most people are happy to grow 5% a year. In their yeah. Company. Yeah. So a couple of things. The main thing is, well, I'm going to say the main thing, but a key component was the fact that, remember I talked about how an investment advisor that does fee-based as the assets grow, then the, you know, their revenue grows. So they have a built-in, with the existing customer base, they have a built-in growth rate. And so we, we were the same way. We have, uh, we had customers that, use our software and it was a software as a service, meaning they didn't buy the software. They kind of rented the software. So they got to use the software in their business and they pay us a small amount of money for every person that uses the software. Right. And so if a company started off and they bought 10 seats or 10 licenses, well, hopefully the software is going to help them grow their business. So they're going to need to buy more seats. So we had a built-in growth rate, you know, almost double figures, almost double digits, uh, almost 10% where people just grew. So if you have, if you, if you have 10 staff, when you first buy the system and then you add one staff, that's a 10% jump, right? So that's a 10% growth in revenue that we got from that one company. And so if you can imagine some people added, you know, 10%, some people added 5%, some people added 18% to their staff. And so every time, they did. They had to buy new licenses. So we had that built in. And then the other thing is just because it's a software as a service, there's some predictability in terms of what your revenue is going to be. As long as you don't let revenue churn and leave out of the, the back door. So that recurring revenue, you have an idea of what it's going to be. So recurring revenue, the way it works, it's like a snowball. You know, you got a little, you pack a little bit of snow together and roll it along the ground. Then ultimately it's a big, you know, big circle or, or big sphere of, of snow. Same thing with software as a service. So a lot of these, so you see a lot of, um, and, and we all, you know, we all purchase things on, you know, uh, recurrent revenue models, you know, Netflix, you have Netflix, you have anything that you pay a monthly fee for. 
And then you're like, man, this is really, really low. You know, eight bucks to have all of this, the streaming service. Well, if Netflix has a million people paying them eight bucks, that's $8 million. And so if Netflix says, you know what, we're going to increase our price by a dollar, right? They just added a million dollars to the revenue side, right? And so, so I, I would encourage anybody that's, that's having a business, you know, that has a business to try to try to somehow, you know, have that business on a subscription basis where you're receiving recurring revenue, right? So that's the difference between, say, a contractor that builds a house, they build a house, they sell that house, and now they have to go do what? Build another house. Well, if they build a house and rent that house, they just need more, more renters because then they can build another house and rent that house. And they keep paying them over and over and over and over again. And if they're adding value, then they can say, you know what? I'm going to put a gold front door. So now your price is going from 800 a month to 850 because you have that gold door that I put on this house, right? So recurring revenue is, is the way to go. Everybody needs a subscriptions-based business in it, some it, way, shape, or form. Some way, shape, or form. And, and what's crazy is, and, and so I don't know if you um, remember when the subscription box came about, right? Where you can get, normally it's, it's products where you go into the store and you buy one time. But somebody said, wow, man, I can turn this, this typically a one purchase item and I can, I can create a box, a subscription box. I'm going to put these things out. Normally only buy one time or once a month. I'm going to put them in a box. And now I just need as many people as possible to pay me, you know, $10.99 for this subscription service. And now it's what? It's recurring revenue. Call it MRR, monthly recurring revenue. That's what you want. So that's why you got these box gyms, these big box gyms. They say, ah, give me 10 bucks a month. That's it, right? You got 10 bucks a month. That's not, yeah, I'll pay you 10 bucks a month. Well, they just need a bunch of people paying them 10 bucks a month, especially a bunch of people that's not getting any results because you're going to keep coming, still trying to get those results. And you're going to keep coming. So you can say, oh, yeah, I go to the gym, I work out. But they just want, they just need, they need a bunch of people paying them 10 bucks a month. Yep. And then they get a crazy multiple like 10 or exactly. 15x. Right. Because again, that, that, that revenue is, is, is predictable. Right. Because you know how many people you have paying you X amount of dollars and then you know what your growth rate is. So it's really, really predictable, especially, again, if it's in an industry where that problem that you're solving is going to be there. People are always going to eat too much. (laughs) They're going to need the gym. It's it's not going away. Right. Rod, time has gotten away from me, man. We're, We're already up against time, man. And I just. I love these conversations about business and, and growth and wealth creation. So maybe if we're lucky enough, we can get you to come back and, and we can go further on the journey because I feel like we only got like halfway through the story, right? Because yeah. there's so much more on the back end. And so the shirt you have on, it yeah. says the end game podcast. Let's end with a little conversation about what that is and okay. why you're doing it. Because it sounds like, to me, and I don't know this firsthand, but it sounds like you don't really have to do much else. I mean, but you, you're doing this podcast and you, you're working yeah. on this business and you got the logistics business and you got these things moving. But yeah. let's talk about the end game because I think that's a passion project for you. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's, it's, it's a part of my legacy, I believe. I know the, the uh, my, my other two co-hosts, Max Maxwell and Lynch Hunt. I know it's a, it's a passion for them as well. I know it will be a part of their legacy also. So we've we've been talking about you know doing a podcast uh, for some time just didn't 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 happen and one day you know I was just like man again I I know what I want to accomplish and and I also know that you know for your 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 audience man no one's ever done anything great alone ever right anybody that's done anything great they had a team they had coaches they had people that cared about them and the vision they had, you know, they were tied to someone or a bunch of someones. And so uh, I knew that, you know, a part of my legacy is, is giving back in terms of giving knowledge. Sometimes it's about money or resources. So most of the time it's about information and sharing and, and giving, you know, real and raw and relatable information, man, so that we can, you know, impact, impact the world. And, and, and for, for me and for us, it's about impacting people that look like us, 
that didn't have the advantages or the head start, or again, more importantly, the information. And so we were just kicking around names and I said, but man, what about the end game? Because that's what it's really about. It's about the end game. It's like, you know, if you say, Hey, I'm, I'm about to, um, you know, go, go swim the English channel. I'm like, why? Like, what's, what's the end game? Like, why, why are you doing that? Why are you going to subject yourself, you know, to that pain or, or whatever. And, 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 and if, and if, if you're doing something and you don't have an end game, right. If you don't have a reason why, uh, your, why it's not big enough, then I, I, I suggest that you just kind of take a look at that again or, or why you're doing that. Right. So, yeah. So, man, we came up with the end game podcast and, Cool thing about it is one of the things that I said, and I said, and I probably still have the text. I told the guy, I said, I don't want to do it if we can't be honest and raw with people and share experiences. And so if you go out and, you know, go, go to the Endgame podcast on um, YouTube or Spotify or Apple and listen or watch, you will see that. I mean, we're, we're, we're raw, we're honest about a bunch of stuff about finances, about manhood, about relationships. You name it, we you know we've already touched on it. We're only what eight episodes in, and so um, for the most part, it's just been myself and Max and Lynch. And I'm really excited about the episode that's dropping in the next few days, uh, where we have a guy whose whose mantra was fifty by fifty, and the fifty, the first fifty is well, no, the second fifty is by age fifty. The first 50 is getting 50 McDonald's by the age of 50. And so he, he's about to turn 50 and he's accomplished that. And man, we deep dive on, uh, you know, into his journey and he looks like us and he's honest and he's humble. And so, man, that, that's, that's what the in-game is about, man. That's it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Guys, go subscribe. Podcast listeners, listen to the podcast. And uh, it's one I pick up every week. So I, I encourage you guys to grab it as well. Yeah, go, Rod, subscribe for- go subscribe to, to your podcast, man. Go, go, go subscribe to, I mean, cause your platform is, is really, really dope. Cause you're like, yeah, I want you to get, I want you to hit me. It's like, I want you to get on my, my, my podcast or like, what, you know, again, for me, it's always, wow, what, what are you doing? And this man. is like, like directly in that vein. So man, I'd love to come back and again, do anything I can do to help you, you know, grow, grow your audience, uh, grow your listeners. Cause it's definitely impacting people. Well, we get, we get messages all the time and you never know who you're touching until you know, and you're like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm blown away by oh, your yeah. impact and I'm sure oh, yeah. impact so many people. So thank you for the opportunity to, to sit down and, and, and talk with you when we're not huffing and puffing and complaining about burpees. Yeah, man. Lynch, get Lynch out of here, man. <laughs> to the listeners, your dreams should be real. He's on we'll one. talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.